we know things by doing them or by enacting them in very deep ways. And yeah, and this goes back to the whole thing on modernity, because in a lot of ways, Protestantism is the religion of modernity, if if the modernist has any religion at all. And so, you know, in modernism, it's like, well, you don't really have to act things out. Like, that's just, you know, you're not being as efficient by acting something out. Like, why would you do that at all if you're not being productive for your material wealth or the material wealth of someone else? Colton Kiru, welcome to Manifesto's podcast. Thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah, great. So I found you on a Discord server called Bridges of Meaning. It's Paul Fender Clay's mm-hmm. kind of community uh, where mm-hmm. you are an active participant there. Um, and More what caught less. my attention <laughs> a little bit, okay. More active than I am. I can't figure out the Discord thing. I'm, I'm too old for it's, that, apparently. <laughs> yeah, Bridges of Meaning is a lot. Yeah, there's a, a lot, lot of stuff happening there. I mean, <laughs> it looks lot. great. I just like, I can't, uh-huh. I, I only look at it like once a month and I'm like, whoa, what the hell is mm-hmm. going on, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're actually organizing a, a festival here in Europe now, in Germany. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. is coming himself and the, mm-hmm. they have the whole lineup and, and music and all kinds of stuff there. Um, but yeah, so you're a YouTuber, you, you run a podcast and you're also riding out on Substack. Uh, you mm-hmm. live in Idaho. Um, mm-hmm. And what attracted me was a thesis that you had written uh, about uh, single or on, on monogamous relationships and, and, and how to, I guess, the way you're looking at building a life for yourself uh, in our current culture somehow. And that seemed mm-hmm. to have created quite a bit more attention than a lot of your other material as well. Is that right? Yeah, it did. Probably, I don't know, 10 to 20 times as much as my regular things get. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell me just a little bit about what the, give us the kind of the short uh, version of, of what you wrote about there and what, what it is you're trying to establish? Okay. So um, what I wrote was a senior thesis for my high school. And cause we had to have a senior thesis project it had to be 12, to 20 pages. I think mine was like 18 or so. And we had to have a thesis statement. So I guess the easiest way to explain it is my thesis statement was that the health of a society is largely dependent on the individual constituents, active embodiment of heterosexual monogamous marriage. And then I have four different proofs and lines of evidence that I follow to prove that. And I have a couple of uh, what we call refutations where I bring up possible objections and then answer them. And so that's kind of the, the paper. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if, if I try and play devil's advocate here, cause I, I work with a mm-hmm. lot with guys over in here in Europe, we are very, secular society and so mm-hmm. this idea of heterosexual monogamous marriage for a lot of people has kind of like fallen into if not disrepute then 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 at least like you know unpopularity or something like that mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. it seems like there's a real challenge for people to find like good alternatives right um and 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 so um i don't know you, you so, so you're 18 years old and and mm-hmm. you're looking at your life now and like, don't you feel like you want to go out and experiment and try things out and, 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 and try different approaches in life uh, and kind of just following into these old traditions <laughs> that, that like, you know, are they all outdated or something like that? Like, what's your take on that? Well, so for myself, there's this thing in American Protestantism, and I don't know if it's in other places as well, and it's called purity culture, and it really rose up, you know, they'll have people do this and that, try to get their kids to be quote-unquote sexually pure and they'll and in some ways it's it just backfires the other way but 
kind of try to get their kids what sexually here like you know um you know like even touching someone of the opposite sex is like a big big no-no um Mm -hmm. type of a thing pure like completely yeah okay yeah uh and Mm -hmm. and so like with my family i was kind of because of the place that we're in, I was kind of raised with that, but kind of not. And so like, for me, I've always been taught, well, you are at this point in time, not committed to an individual person that you know, but you're still actually committed to an individual person in the future that you're going, that you're going to know. And so what do you want to give them or not give them? And so there are different approaches to that. And I guess a lot of it is just because of how I've been raised. And because I am 18 years old, I did make it through high school and didn't I didn't have a a girlfriend the entire time in high school and didn't do anything with any girls and so it's kind of at this point almost like a loyalty to myself and a loyalty in our language loyalty to God to be following through with this and to just decide that in the end it's better to only have one person it's more fulfilling it's more meaningful to do that I mean And maybe that's just my approach and my temperament and my upbringing, but I don't find it as a incredibly hard thing to do, I suppose. Um, I don't know if that kind of gets to your question for me personally, but I really appreciate the way you just turned it. You you spoke about yourself and from your own experience. I think that's great. I mean, it's interesting to hear like, what's it like being in a school in our current culture and kind of saying mm-hmm. like, well, actually, I don't feel a strong need to go out and, and try and have all kinds of experiences with with girls <laughs> sexually mm-hmm. right now, because I'm probably, you know, not able to find that partner that I'm going to be with, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. So I don't know, wait, did you face any kind of bullying or mocking or resistance or something like that in, in your? Well, so I'm six foot four, like 210 pounds and I play basketball and I'm really good at basketball and mm-hmm. I tend to be more or less socially charismatic and then mm-hmm. I do stuff intellectually. And so like, I don't know, people don't really, I don't know. I don't really experience bullying. The only bullying I've experienced is when I was really young because I was like the kids in like when I was in first grade, like the kids in fourth grade would bully me because I'd be as big as them. And I didn't just know how to deal with it mentally. And then my freshman year in high school, because I would play basketball with the kids who were so freshman is like ninth grade. So 14 years old, I would play basketball with the kids who are juniors and seniors. So like 17, 18 years old, 11th and 12th grade. Mm-hmm. And I kind of experienced bullying then, but not for never for sexual things, just like snide remarks and stuff, because I was good enough at basketball to be able to play basketball with these kids. And they didn't really like that. It kind of, you know, I don't know they, they weren't super fond of that. And so that's the bullying that I've experienced, but I haven't experienced bullying in other ways. And maybe, maybe that's I shouldn't just... say bullying, but just pure, pure pressure, like, uh, like kind of being made out to be something weird or, or, or something like that, or, uh, at least like in my school time, I think most people mm-hmm. like there's this kind of like guy thing of like t- talking about sexual escapades. And if you don't like have something to contribute to that conversation, then you can be looked down upon or something like that. Um, is uh, that yeah. Something? yeah. Well, I don't I don't know, Paul. I, I, I haven't really experienced that. Maybe it's just because no. I don't really, really care. And so maybe I would be more <laughs> sensitive to it if I did care. But yeah. like, I mean, that kind of stuff obviously happens at other boys will talk but i just Mm -hmm. i don't know i just don't have anything to say so i don't say anything and don't 
make a big deal out of it. And it's not like something where I'm like desiring it too. And so maybe that can maybe egg it on like, oh, I really would want to experience that, but I can't. And yeah. um, so maybe that contributes to it too. Yeah. But well, I mean, it's yeah, I don't know. That's just, that, like, that's just you know, my experience. Yeah. I mean, so I can talk, you know, it's, it's a long time ago. I'm 41 today, right? Uh -huh. But yeah. uh, when I was in school, then certainly like, you know, there was a lot of talk about girls. There's a lot of like, focus on girls. Um, and, and certainly the guys who had experiences or spoke, I think a lot of it was bullshitting, you know, guys just mm -hmm. talking a lot and not, you know, but, mm -hmm. but that was kind of, um, certainly something that you saw people being mocked for or pressured or something like that. Um, yeah. I grew up in a very conservative home as well. And there was a strong commitment from my childhood to just like, you know, keep sex within marriage. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did do that all the way through high school as well. I, I was a virgin when I, when I got out of high school. Um, but, but then later on in life, I, you know, I, I got married early, but then my, my, my marriage ended. And so I, I, mm. um, I had a period where I was single. I had, very much lost contact to that um, kind mm -hmm. of Christian upbringing that I had had. I was an atheist at that time. And so then I was mm -hmm. out and experimenting. And, and today I can definitely look back and say like, you know, thank God for the the, the grounding that I got in my early childhood. Yeah. And, and that I can also come back to that as well. And all that experimenting and playing around and stuff like that, I can really just see how it, it scattered myself and, and, and kind of like introduced a lot of chaos. You mm -hmm. kind of open up intimate parts of yourself and they, don't get met. Uh, mm -hmm. and so you can become jaded, uh, mm -hmm. and, and weakened in, in your own contact with yourself in that way, actually as well. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah. I can certainly see that, but, and, and I really like it the way you say, like, was like, you know, I just don't really feel a need for that kind of thing. And it's not that hard because, because there's a lot of people well, who are just like, yeah. Oh, this is impossible. You can't do it. And I, uh -huh. I think part of it is just the way that we talk about things and the kind of, um, you know, that narrative that like, oh, I'm not even in control of myself anymore. I have to do this. Otherwise I'm going to like, you know, collapse or explode or mm -hmm. something terrible else is going to happen of right. some kind. And, right. Which like, you yeah. don't actually have to buy into that story. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And some of it is just like allowing the, I don't know, because, because I am a Christian, because I do think that it's sexual sin, allowing the temptations to kind of get a hold on you and then doing post hoc rationalizations for your behavior or your thoughts. And this doesn't mean, you know, that you're not ever going to have, you know, thoughts that are manifesting themselves as temptations or any of that, but it just means that, I don't know, you can kind of invite it in like so recently, and I'm actually hoping to write a piece on this uh, soon is in this little corner of the internet that I'm in with, Vanderclay and Verveke and Peugeot and whatnot, kind of where you are, there, there's a lot of talk about spirits and levels up. And, you know, then BJ Kimball introduced this term egregore, and he's kind of using it with in terms of the internet, but people have kind of broadened its usage as well. And it's a new understanding of spirits, at least for me, my context, and, you know, nothing that, you know, 20th century, 21st century Protestants would usually think of. But with that is that idea that you're literally inviting a spirit into, you know, inhabit you. And this spirit might not be necessarily good or bad, or it might not necessarily be demonic or an angel, but it is a spirit. And so to ignore the fact that there is like, you're not alone in your saying no or yes to sexual things. It's like, it's not only you and that other person, it's there's all these other things which are a part of it. And you're going to get dragged away if you're not. Part, I mean, that's part of participating in the Holy Spirit, participating in the Spirit of God is to keep doing 
that and not because you don't get to not be spiritual, I guess is what I'm saying. And so I don't know, you, you definitely invite those things in with all the little things that you do. And that's, that's kind of how I see it, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, there's a video that Jonathan Peugeot did about Santa Claus and the tooth fairy exist, <laughs> mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. which I thought, have you seen, have you seen that one? I haven't seen that. Okay. One. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's great because that's, he takes a very, very kind of, I'd almost say basic childlike approach to understanding this idea mm -hmm. of spirits that you're talking about and how mm -hmm. like, you know, they, he basically says, you know, like, you know, Santa Claus, he doesn't exist at the same level as like, you know, my coffee cup exists, mm -hmm. but he exists in a way that he, you know, he, you know, we all talk about Santa Claus. Like you can even send a letter to Santa Claus and, and he'll mm -hmm. probably reply. And, mm -hmm. and like he, he, it's a cultural phenomenon. It's a spiritual phenomenon. It's a kind of a, a phenomenon at the level of ideas that is affecting, you know, things in the oh, world. Yeah. And so, you know, a guy like, you know, Jimmy can get a job at the supermarket sitting there as Santa Claus. And when he's sitting there and has a little child in his lap, like, he's not Jim anymore. He's speaking as Santa Claus and everybody knows that. And everybody recognizes that and the way he dresses and the way he speaks. Mm -hmm. uh, and so mm -hmm. there's a specific spirit of Santa Claus that, that has a, oh, yeah. a big influence on our culture in many ways. Right. And it's a kind of oh, part yeah. of the, I call it Americanization or cult commercialization <laughs> of, of, sorry to take a cheap shot there. Of, oh no, uh, no, no, no worries. Of, of what Christmas is. Right. But that, which is, you know, kind of really much taken over that. And it's not, it's not always a bad thing. You know, I think Santa Claus is, is, is a great thing. Uh -huh. uh, in, in many right. ways as well um but but it, he exists uh, at that at that in that way and and so what mm -hmm. one useful way of analyzing this that just works if you think about it for a while is, is to see these things as as spirits i guess right. so yeah that, that right. leads me to what we one of the things that we said we wanted to dive into a little bit is like so you're living in idaho uh mm -hmm. up on the rocky mountains uh right on mm -hmm. there between the continental divide between east and yep. west yep. and um you Go, you're a part of a kind of evangelical Christian church, Protestant church. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. You have a, a, a school where there's a specific culture that you go to as well. And at the same time, you're getting exposed to some very, very different ideas through the internet as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and you're trying to balance all of these things some way. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how you're doing that and how, how, to, yeah, how to create a life in this very chaotic time in that way, I guess? Okay, yeah. So... So like one of the things that we were talking about is kind of like how I go to an evangelical Protestant church where it's very just, I mean, baseline stuff and not a whole lot of historic Christianity. And maybe, you know, you know, some of the people know about uh, Luther and Calvin and maybe some of their ideas, but 80% of the people in the church couldn't even list the five points of Calvinism and were Protestants in a, in a, I mean, in a Calvinist strand, because there are really only three strands of Protestantism. There's Lutherans, Anabaptists, and Calvinists. And so almost every Protestant denomination is descended from the Calvinists, and we don't even know five points of Calvinism. And so it's a really... The tulip thing. Yeah. Uh -huh, yeah. Yeah. And it's... So in a lot of ways, it's really shallow. And then there are there's a infusion of American conservatism into it as well. So it's almost like, mm -hmm. and like people who are really committed to going to church are committed to both of these things. And sometimes almost seem to be committed to their politics more than church, even though they don't realize it. And so one of the things that I've experienced because I have been on the internet for a while and reading other books outside of my, I guess, tradition for a while is that there is it's hard to translate these things for me. So like even 
two days ago on Saturday, I was at a friend's house and there was this guy there who was talking about, he actually lives in California. He was talking about his job and um, how, I don't, I can't remember his exact job, something with like uh, trimming trees and stuff and like on a larger scale than just for domestic purposes and how there are these native people who don't want the trees to be cut down and they are, you know, they take some of their ancestral heritage and want it and then, but they also want like modern things. And he was just talking about this and like, and I didn't really say anything because I didn't really know the guy who was talking and cause he was visiting uh, my friend's house as well. But in a lot of ways, like, you know, someone like this who even has the ability to like speak somewhat articulately and to speak to the situation, give opinions and um, you know, then bring in the Bible and, uh, in these different ways to try to support their position. It's just interesting because the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, well, they're obviously dealing with the fall of modernity and they're trying to find meaning in, in the midst of this modernism. And of course they want the modern things, because we, we don't want to like get rid of our computers, but at the same time, it's like, it's, it's kind of meaningless. And so that's just like an example in the last week where I wasn't necessarily frustrated, but I wasn't, I'm, I'm more on, I'm actually more introverted. And so like, it's easy to talk to you one-on-one, -on -one, but like in a group of people or with someone where I don't know exactly how they're going to take the discussion. And then I'm 18 years old. So that can kind of be, you know, a little bit of a dynamic as well. It's just, there can be some of that frustration um, where it's kind of like, there's so much that's being missed here. Like, and we're just thinking so much inside of, because most Protestant Christians where I am are modernist in very, very fundamental ways. Like they'll talk about, like maybe there are angels and demons, but we don't really talk about them. And maybe there's not even angels and demons influencing us once we become quote unquote, a Christian whatever that means in evangelical language. And so it's definitely an interesting uh, component. And I'm kind of like, you know, caught between these two things and yeah. trying to, you know, further so my I'm knowledge. Tell me a little bit more what you mean. You, you use the term the fall of modernity. So, okay. so there's this idea. And when you talk about modernity, I also think it's you're talking a little bit about materialism as well. Like this kind of comes from like maybe 19th century German philosophers that had this very kind of materialist scientific mindset that we can mm -hmm. understand everything through science. And it seems like that's this has been very much adopted by, you know, American evangelical churches and yeah. in many ways, even inside the Christian church. Uh -huh. um, and then do you feel that that's kind of like falling apart for us as well? Or I don't know. It's, for me, that's okay. very obvious here in Europe for sure. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, so like, yeah, that's what kind of more or less what I mean by modernity is kind of birthed out of the enlightenment. There's this thinking of, you know, using empiricism and rationalism and, you know, the scientific method to approach the world. And maybe there are other things in the world that we can't measure by science, but we're not going to focus on those things. We're just going to focus on the material world. So you don't necessarily have to be a materialist, but this is the kind of stuff that gave us the ability to have, like I said, cars or computers or electricity is to, you know, it's, it's a very much a focus on the material world and what we can do to it's use also given the us a very world. high level of material abundance. One could say, oh, yeah. right. It's like, oh, yeah. it's, it's like, we've never been as rich and had mm -hmm. so much, you know, we, we produce far more food and far more goods than we could ever oh, right. yeah. use. Even for if we, even if we had to, you know, 
you know, supply to the whole world's population as well. Um, but my, mm -hmm. my take on that is like, well, at the same time, we've perhaps become as spiritually impoverished mm -hmm. as any yep. society has ever been. And I, I think, mm -hmm. you know, just I think a good indicator of that is the level of suicide, not to mention oh, anxiety yeah. and depressions and, and, and that kind of thing as well. Right. But that for well, me, that's, yeah, a, that's, that's yeah. definitely the case. And like this conversation I was having, well, more or less that I was listening to with this guy on Saturday, mm -hmm. you know, these native people want their material things, but then they want this ancestral heritage because they think if that they go back before modernity into their, I mean, Native American tribal people, their heritage, then maybe they'll find something meaningful there and that they can actually do something with or that they can believe in. And they, because we need something to believe in, like it's, it's really boring. I mean, in a way it's not boring and it affords material abundance, but it's kind of boring to just, you know, believe in productivity or to believe in efficiency and just material wealth like mm -hmm. i don't know there's not a lot there and then we we're just becoming so disconnected in general because i mean that's one of the things modernity does outsources the production of material goods to individual groups of people and so then what that does is you become so disintegrated you don't even know where your food is coming from and we might not think that's a big deal but it in some ways it kind of is you know there's not yeah. very many cultures where they didn't know where their one, food came from yeah, i mean this is like a Karl marx thing of like the alienation from the methods of production mm -hmm. right like that's oh yeah yep 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 idea as well but you're not a marxist i'm taking it right <laughs> like, uh, no no i i guess mm -hmm. like what i'm trying to get at is that there's i'm not necessarily a marxist and i wouldn't consider myself a, a postmodernist either maybe in a I mean, the way that a lot of people talk about postmodernists where they're like ideologues and the only thing they believe in is power. Like I'm not a postmodernist in that way, mm -hmm. but I'm definitely not a modernist. And I see like, you know, with the communities that I'm in, all these right wing American politically leaning people can't even understand why people on the other side believe what they believe. And it's like, I don't know for me, like I can definitely see why they believe what they believe. And even like with the, I mean, we have all these transgender issues. It's like, yeah, it's absurd, but given the history of, I don't know, ideas or maybe even spirits that have been coming through thus far, maybe even, maybe even just taking the last 50 years, it's really easy to see why we would be here, you know? And I think that personally, I think that, you know, transgender surgeries, on people who can't really consent to it and aren't adults is probably a bad idea. But at the same time, I can see why people think it's a good idea and why they're not exactly malevolent in thinking so, you know, and maybe I shouldn't be able to see that, but it's like there are deep, there are deep rooted things in these, in these discussions that a lot of times we miss because we're just so, I don't know, based on practicality. And this is, biologically or materially how you are and so there's no other way that you can do it. it's like mm -hmm. there's something else besides just mere biology i guess is what i'm trying to get at yeah yeah absolutely i mean i think the the idea of transgender surgery is a pretty extreme one so you, you took a mm -hmm. very you were steel manning <laughs> your argument there for sure um because but certainly like yeah I, I think that there's this unfortunate tendency that you know many of the grievances that are mentioned or brought up by the left are relevant mm -hmm. grievances you know there is all kinds oh, yeah. of oppression and domination oh, yeah. and manipulation and misuse of power and stuff like that um but the, and, and there can be a, a tendency so a lot of time when i see this stuff then you kind of have this tendency to just like write off 
all of the problems that they're mentioning. As soon as someone starts mm -hmm. talking about those things, yep. because we just, you know, because some of their solutions are so extreme, then you just kind of get tired of hearing about it, right? And, mm -hmm. and so for me, like also just like navigating through the whole Me Too scandal has been difficult as well, because, you know, just because there's some people who are radically overreacting and, and you know, proposing all kinds of crazy ideas of how to deal with me too. Like, okay, you know, as soon as you flirt with someone, then you have to like check in every five minutes and make sure, are you okay? And if you want to like, then you know, like hold our hand and you have to like get a written yeah. consent form. Yeah, si sign the contract. Crazy <laughs> way of dealing with like flirting with the opposite gender, right? It's never going to uh -huh. work. But that doesn't mean that Me Too isn't pointing to a very real problem that we that we you know haven't been aware of and that we've kind of like assumed like oh this is you know we can we can just like do this thing of like oh everybody's equal and sexual revolution and now we're all free to do whatever we want mm -hmm. we have birth control so we don't have to worry about kids and that's mm -hmm. oh no that, there's not going to be any problems like of course there's going to be major problems right we're mm -hmm. changing our way of relating to each other and and it just it's not working this whole mm -hmm. this whole system um right and we, yeah. we see basically yeah I, I think you know just to go back to your thesis again that's what i i really saw is so so valuable it's like I, you know the family is really the fundamental building block of any society and mm -hmm. when you when you start playing around with that like it has deep repercussions in all areas of society and, and especially mm -hmm. just in, in the raising of children <laughs> which is like mm -hmm. where, where you're getting your basic you know every child needs to be loved and appreciated and and seed and the best people to do that is a biological mother and father right and right yeah that's not yeah places. Mm -hmm. so yeah. like yeah i don't know if you're gonna say something i'm gonna go into something else i'm gonna let okay. you comment on that first then i'm gonna go into the next topic okay well i was just gonna say yeah like in like like with the thesis like you brought up biological family and biological mother and father and yeah that's a big deal because like one of the lines of argument that i follow in the thesis is basically you as a child are going to be shaped by how your parents are and then if your parents aren't together or are you know in kind of i don't know what we even want to say unnatural which then we get into defining what we mean by natural but unnatural sexual relationship meaning homosexual or bisexual relationship then that actually messes with kids and messes with their development and so like the family is a big deal and that's kind of one of the lines of argument that i was following in that way and you know for all the complaining that i'm doing about modernism there was a point and the point was the material world matters and it, and it does actually matter and so we can't forget that i you know and i think that that's an important thing to remember so so hard to keep balance right it's almost like you need mm -hmm. a transcendental face <laughs> in order to keep yeah. A, yeah. a north star and without that uh -huh. it's like you just kind of get pulled one side to the other side one side to the other uh -huh. side and there's no way and and that's the nature of humans i think if we don't have something higher than ourselves that that is defined outside of ourselves as well then mm -hmm. we, we're just like very susceptible to get blown around by by different stuff um and so yeah just on that point as well you know like I have a 15 year old son uh, mm -hmm. who um, I, me and his wife, uh, sorry, me and his, me and his mother divorced, my, my ex-wife divorced when he was one and a half years old. Okay. And, and it just became very clear with time how he's fully loyal to his mother <laughs> and he's fully loyal to me as his dad as well. Mm -hmm. So when me and her can't sort things out, mm. 
And that's very hard to do when we're not living together because we have this natural tendency to drift away from each other because we're just living different lives and we are influenced by different things and we have different interests in what we want to do, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we mm -hmm. naturally drift away in all kinds of areas, you know, not just politics, but, you know, in all of our personal cultural and priorities and values and stuff like that. And so mm -hmm. if we don't sort that stuff out, then he's the one who's left with like being more and more pulled mm -hmm. into different directions. And mm -hmm. so it's up to him to then try and like knit all this stuff together again. And the more, you know, if we then have an argument and he even gets to witness that argument or, or we let a little bit leak into our conversation with him in a passive aggressive way, talking badly about the other one, right. Then, then mm -hmm. he's left with this kind of like internal conflicts and a schizophrenia inside of himself that, that he has to then try and deal with. Right. And you know, mm -hmm. so me and my ex-wife, we really spend a lot of time. We celebrate his birthday together. We see each other regularly. They've come there and visit us, you know, and, and, and my ex-wife mm -hmm. and, 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 and we go to there and see them as well and stuff like that. And, and, and even then I see it's, it's far from ideal. Right. Uh, and then mm -hmm. I see parents who, you know, break up, have kids, and then they're actively, you know, totally demonizing and denigrating the other parent in front of the children and, mm -hmm. and i just think like wow that how do you ever bring that together again then the only way for the child to deal with it is like either split themselves into two or withdraw from being in contact with that at all right oh yeah really mm -hmm. yeah yeah. <sighs> yeah yeah so so, so yeah you, like if i have any comments on that yeah, is that what it, yeah. okay well so like one of the things that i believe about monogamy and why it's so important for people to hold to is because like you're saying if you don't then and you know there are different circumstances and different reasons why people get divorced or it's necessary maybe in some circumstances i mean like traditionally there are three causes for a divorce um infidelity desertion and abuse and but it was also only the uh, victimized spouse who could initiate or complete the divorce as well and so that's not to say like even in like some people might think hearing me talk or maybe even reading my thesis that i'm not trying to be chari that i'm not being charitable to individual circumstances and i try to be like i you know there are a lot of like life is hard there are a lot of problems that people face and maybe sometimes those are unreconcilable for whatever reason or maybe you know you didn't have any control over it or maybe you know there are just layers and layers of complexity but for me like looking at what would be ideal i suppose you could say it's like when you get married the idea is that you are chaining yourself to the other person and you're not going to be separated from them because if you allow that thinking that okay we can separate then well you're not really going to be able to live with them or deal with them over long periods of time because it's like you're going to have problems and maybe those problems aren't necessarily caused by either one of you but like life is going to bring with it some problems and it's like if you can't commit to that other person you know i guess no matter what essentially then then there's going to be some things that are just going to wreck you and you know like if you have I mean, even in maybe a, a lesser circumstance, like if you just have a really, really big argument about a culmination of different things, it's like, why wouldn't you leave? Like, that's the easiest thing to do is to leave in those circumstances. But you don't leave because there's something beyond just that immediate idea of, well, if I leave, then there's this release from what it is. It's like medium to long-term consequences are different. And there's a, I mean, that's why the marriage 
as I see it, the marriage vows are so important because it's like, you know, we're not, there's no leaving. We're staying together because if we don't commit to doing that, then we will leave. And I don't know if you don't like for me, if I don't believe that about myself, I'm fooling myself. And if I don't believe that about my potential partner, then I'm, I'm fooling myself and fooling them. Like it's, you know, no matter how great of a person it is. And so that's part of the reason why monogamy is so important because to build a life with someone is like really, really difficult, like you're saying. And then the consequences of that are really, really difficult as well. And so, yeah. And I mean, then you can get into like all these discussions. Well, what about if not monogamy, just like committed relationships, like even in polyandry or polygamy or something like that. But that's a totally um, different thing, which I kind of Mm -hmm. touch on in the paper as well. But yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what I, I think about that. And you know, it's like, I feel, I feel sorry for your circumstances and, uh, in a way. And, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's definitely a hard thing and life is hard. And I kind of think, well, life is hard. Let's try not to make it any harder than it has to be, you know? Well, that, and it takes a large amount of maturity and ability to, you know, withstand, uh, immediate gratification of pleasure and, to mm-hmm. and 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 also actually you know i'd say it's also like it takes believing in more experienced people than yourself to a certain extent like you oh, can't yeah. always know this stuff when I, I you know like when you speak as you know i think you speak very well for these things and it sounds very embodied but in some ways like you're already relying on you know, you're an 18 year old guy you've never <laughs> yeah, tried this yeah. stuff right uh-huh, but, but right? You're, so you're relying on received wisdom to a certain extent uh-huh. so you don't deeply know in an embodied mm-hmm. way all of these things but you trust them and you follow the thinking and you've you've investigated yourself you've looked at a whole lot of you know science around it as well mm-hmm. and, and and but then you've also become convicted in your heart i guess um mm-hmm. and I, I think that's great there's one thing that i want to add you know in someone who's now married for the second time so it does okay, have a yeah. little bit more uh yeah, embodied go, experience yeah, in these things and definitely th- this is something that i see and maybe we'll get into a little bit of like i mentioned that you're on the border between east and west because i was wanting to lay mm-hmm. up something about that discussion there as well but i think mm-hmm. this is this is perhaps the first point of that of, of something between eastern and western culture and civilization because i see that marriage in the west has become increasingly a legal agreement and there's a lot of focus on you, mm. you mentioned the vows mm-hmm. and so it's this thing like i'm saying i will and then it's like i'm changed good yeah so we're back from a little break uh there was an incident <laughs> outside here due to a father-in-law helping to tidy up in a very friendly and nice way and then he accidentally pulled the cable out of my router um so but yeah we were talking about the connection or the this different approaches to marriage i think in, in the east and west is kind of like a taste of the, of those um different perspectives and and so this was something that i experienced as well is that when i initially my first marriage i i very much saw it as a strong commitment uh very much within a legal framework uh so we got married in a church and it was a priest who didn't really know us that well who married us um but she did a she did a nice speech uh and was a female priest uh in denmark Mm -hmm. um and then um I had a strong also just understanding from my childhood that like, you know, you get married once and that, you know, and you're committed to that and you, and you do that for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I won't go into the reasons now of why that, that, what, that didn't work. Um, but the, the second time I got married, it was in the Eastern Orthodox church. Okay. And there the actual marriage ceremony, you don't say I do at any time. 
Mm. Um, there's an engagement ceremony where you kind of, you know, you say like, you get asked like, are you here <laughs> voluntarily? And you say, yes, I am or something like that. But, but during the marriage ceremony in the Orthodox church, what, what really struck me was you actually receive a crown and the crown is a kind of a crown of victory, but also a crown of martyrdom. So you're crowned as a martyr. And so marriage mm. is more seen as a death to yourself. Mm. And so mm. what you are is kind of, you know, up to that point is it dies there. And, and then, you know, something new, something new is created through that ceremony as well. And, and, and so, you know, I, I believe a lot in the power of what you just spoke about. And I think Jordan Peterson also speaks very eloquently about like, you know, committing yourself to another person because mm -hmm. if you leave yourself a backdoor, then, you know, you'll take it at some point because you'll get mm -hmm. faced with something so difficult to see of yourself that you'll, you'll need to do that. And I think everybody that that happens, it's very difficult to really confront the parts of yourself that you will get confronted with if you're in a marriage for a long enough time. Um, but in addition to that, uh, you know, they're, they're, you have to have the love component <laughs> and love mm -hmm. as in like, as in like, you know, a death of the self actually, and, and something more powerful between you being born so that you're actually becoming one with this other person in a very real way. And you know, in a spiritual way, obviously you're not like mm -hmm. merging a Siamese twins, but, but, but you are actually becoming something one. And, and that's something that me and my wife, we both have a very, you know, shared spiritual practice that we're engaging in every single day of our lives mm -hmm. together. And, and, and it's very clear how we get confronted with these very, very painful and difficult things and, and how we can um, move through those through a painful process of death, actually, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah, yeah like you know, willpower and legal con contract agreements can get you so far. But I don't yeah. think that for, for me, at least, maybe I'm just too far gone, right? But I, I need more than <laughs> there is some kind of like transcendental yeah. aspect of marriage, which I think can get forgotten in in that kind of legalistic focus mm, yeah that's good mm -hmm. yeah i will say one thing that i've been thinking about recently is now at least people in the states there's this trend where you just go in a lope in like some exotic location and then maybe you have a wedding reception but really you just like you know you just get you just get married and like that's kind of the thing to do nowadays and it's like the trendy thing to do and for me it's like are you like actually married if you just have a contract with the United States government? Because I don't, I don't know if you are, and maybe it's different in Europe because of how those countries were formed where maybe the church and state are more intertwined. So maybe you have like a contract with both of them, but I don't know, like for me, like the actual, like there's, you're, you should get married in front of a community of people that you trust who are going to, help hold you to this thing and this is a little bit different than what you're talking about because again i guess i'm talking about the but it's another important aspect it's about. not contradictory i think it's yeah it's complimentary yeah but like but i totally i think you're yeah. right so carry on <laughs> like for me like like a marriage contract with the united states government for me isn't actually that important maybe it should be more important to me but like as i see it it's like it's more important for me and my future wife to get married and like in front of people that we trust and know and that are going to support us and that are going to hold us to that because it's, I don't know, like, and we've definitely gotten to that point, you know, in the United States, at least where once you turn 18 years old, then you can, you know, sign a marriage contract. And then, you know, so like, what's the benefits? Like, you know, you have a different tax, you're in a different tax bracket now, or, you know, like there's, 
there's something, I guess, like you're saying, beyond just the mere, um, just the mere piece of paper or just the mere words that you're actually trying to get to. But again, like you said, I don't really know. You know, I'm just say I'm just talking about all this in the abstract. Hopefully, one well, there's day something I'll know. about, and and I guess this is something you've also got through these different YouTubers and internet people that you've seen is like so there's something about ritual, right? Because uh -huh. Protestantism has largely written off ritual. You still have baptism, and you still have the Eucharist or breaking of bread, I guess. Every once in a while. Every once in a while, but they're <laughs> kind of seen as, you know, like oh, they're just symbolic or something like that. And it's 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 yeah. And of course, baptism is important, but. You know, I, I think for me, it, it really, what, what just comes out so clearly is like how human beings are deeply ritualistic beings and how mm -hmm. we create rituals that that's how we create meaning in life. And, and so when we get rid of like these ancient rituals that are fully imbued. And so as I become a part of the Eastern Orthodox church, like you just see like every part of life is ritualized, like the whole year is ritualized. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's like, you know, the, the days of the week are ritualized and the, the months of the year. And, you know, there's rituals for different, diff all kinds of different occasions, almost every single day throughout the day, mm -hmm. uh, multiple points during the day. Um, and, and it's different, they're different for different cultures as well. So if you're Georgian or if you're Romanian or if you're Russian, mm -hmm. like there's all the different kind of like little, you know, and different families have different ways of implementing these things as well. And I've, and I think when we don't do that, then, you know, like if I look at my childhood, like what are the most important rituals that was like sitting down and watching, um, you know, like whatever it was, the, 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 you know, mad about you or whatever it was the series that was on television mm -hmm. at that time. And, you know, that, that was like, that we get, we become, so we were actually like kind of worshiping at the TV altar instead of worshiping uh you know it's like what are we focusing our attention is what is our our, our rituals centered around right and that mm -hmm. gets shifted when when you don't know what it is we, you kind of get susceptible to other things yeah yeah that's for sure mm -hmm. and it's it's definitely different like you're saying inside of protestantism and some people are beginning to do this more and more but like celebrating even something as basic as advent or lent or doing something during those time periods like kind of foreign ideas to a lot of people in the circles that i'm in 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 real life and you know my geographical existence not in my online existence and so it's definitely a different way of looking at it because in a lot of ways protestantism is very propositional here are what we believe these are set of statements that we believe and then one of the things that even the evangelical protestants realize that they have trouble with is people who say that they believe it but then they don't they don't change at all they don't do anything you know there's the at least in uh and maybe this is the the, the case where you are uh too but the you know stereotypical person who goes to church on sunday and assents to all the beliefs on sunday but then doesn't actually live them out or you know that kind of a thing and so I don't know. Are you familiar with Reiki's four P's of knowing? Uh, I just spoke to him about it this Friday, but John Reiki's, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, okay. this is, this was the central subject of our conversation. We, oh, okay. we titled it exploring existential questions through action. Uh, okay. And so we're talking about oh, okay. like the, the nice. importance of like going and like embodying, not, not just right. like, you know, and, and especially pro propositional knowledge as you spoke, but yeah, but yeah, I think like, I, I haven't actually, seen him so yeah i think go, tell me how it applies to this uh well i was just gonna say and i don't know i'm not one to necessarily critique john verveke but three mm -hmm. of his four are like embodied if you will 
you know, you have the propositional, procedural, participatory, and perspectival. I guess maybe perspectival's a little less um, embodied, but you know, we know things by doing them or by enacting them in very deep ways. And yeah, and this goes back to the whole thing on modernity because in a lot of ways, Protestantism is the religion of modernity if if the modernist has any religion at all and so you know in modernism it's like well you don't really have to act things out like that's just you know you're not being as efficient by acting something out like why would you do that at all if you're not being productive for your material wealth or the material wealth of someone else and it's very i mean now that you have the rise of i mean I mean, you're, you converted to Eastern Orthodoxy. You're having more people, even in Idaho, not where I am in this little rural community, but in like the bigger cities in Idaho, going to Eastern Orthodox churches and going back to Catholic churches as well. And it's definitely an interesting thing how, how these movements are working, where people, I guess, want something more than just the, you know, the mere proposition, the mere assent to the proposition. Well, I'm, I'm really curious, Colton, about how you're looking at this yourself, because like we're kind of sitting okay. here and we're shooting a little bit of Protestantism, but your kind of perspectival, if that's the right way of saying that word, yeah. uh, <laughs> approach to Christianity, it is like you're right now standing within the Protestant, a Protestant church, you're a member of a Protestant church, right? I mm -hmm. understand. And you're, so how are you looking at that right now? And I don't know, where, where do you see... Yeah, I, I, I want to be just careful of where I'm treading as well, but okay, yeah. But like, yeah, what are, are you planning to also be exploring some other denominations, like going and visiting some Orthodox and Catholic churches or something like that? Or what, what's your thoughts on that right now? Yeah. So, like, I mean, I guess one thing I could comment on just quickly is that there's probably not an Orthodox church within 300 miles of where I live. Uh, I've never, I've never actually seen an Orthodox church in my life. And so, I mean, there are Catholic churches around, but not very many people go to them still. Like there are these people, you know, that are starting to, but it's not, it's not like super big in Idaho or I'm right next to Montana, really? the state of Montana. So, but I guess, so one thing is that I was born and raised in a Protestant church with Protestant parents in a Protestant context. And so I really feel like I have a lot of knowledge about how these churches work and how they are. And I guess one of the things that I think as well is that there was actually a reason for the Protestant Reformation. And, and you know, Jonathan Bajot talks about this, that he obviously thinks that it was an overreach and that they overextended. And um, like, even if you read the, or like Luther or, you know, learn about Luther early on, he was not trying to separate from the Catholics. Like that was not his intention to yeah. do that. But then it kind of spiraled out of control in his heated speeches and he would just get himself carried away. And then you had Zwingli who came along who was really did not like the Catholics either. And then you had Calvin and well, Calvin really tried to unite Zwingli and Luther and failed at it. And then you just had splintering off really really soon because of the anabaptists and so it kind of spiraled out of control mm -hmm. and so like ultimately and vanderclay says this ultimately the protest has to and will end and i don't know when that is but like right now like for me like these are my 
these are my people, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like these are the, these are the people that I know, um, you know, these are the friends that I have. And I, so like I'm looking at colleges and I went to and visited one college and it's a really, really Catholic college and like actually Catholic, not, not like Notre Dame, Notre Dame maybe is kind of Catholic, but they're so big that they're not really anymore. Like this one is like actually Catholic. And it's like, I go there and I am appreciative of the tradition and I'm appreciative of the people there. And I'm appreciative of just the entire thing in a lot of ways, but it's not, I don't know. It's not me. I guess. And maybe one day it will be, maybe, maybe I'll feel differently about it at one point in time, mm -hmm. but I don't know. There's, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just not idealistic enough in that regard, but I'm, I'm kind of content where I am, I guess, if that makes sense, I'm kind of content just learning to, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is part of it where I'm starting to learn more and more about all these other different things, kind of like what we're talking about that other people I'm around don't know. And maybe part of the challenge subconsciously for me is to learn to love people in a deep way, even when they have no interest in these things whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's part of it because like I go, and I think we talked about this before, before this conversation, you know, like I, I have never really had serious doubts about, christianity itself just because of the books that i've read the people that i've listened to i mean i mentioned jordan peterson at that point in time that was definitely a big thing like i've never really had doubts about christianity but i did have doubts about like going to church and like is that worth it and then i mentioned yeah. that you know then i started listening to vanderclay i found vanderclay and started listening to him and just realized that i don't know it's maybe it's not up to me in my personal individual context to try to change where I'm at and try to change all these people, but maybe it's up to me to love them. And like, I don't know, I probably wouldn't listen to Vanderclay if he didn't. I mean, like people are encouraging him to like leave his uh, little church in Sacramento and just go full online and like tour or whatever they want him to do. It's like, for me, like, I'm really, really glad that he's in this church where, you know, only 20 people every week, who are older than him go to it. And it's just, I don't know. It's really admirable mm -hmm. for me to look at that and then be like, yeah. And then you can still engage in these other things, but there are, there are people who will never engage in them and who will never have any interest in doing so, but who still love the Lord in a very basic childlike way. And they love me and I'm called to love them and to love God in a similar way. So I don't know if that kind of helps. I, I think that was an excellent answer, Colton. I really okay. I don't know. That. Yeah. I, that helps I was really touched. I, 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 one thing you said right in the beginning that really, really hit me as well is like, you said like, these are my people. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and I, I think that's, it's, it's just like having that awareness of like that you are anchored in a specific context in your life. And you can easily in our society today, like tear yourself out of that and go plant yourself somewhere else. But like, I think so many people who do that lose their own footing and their own grounding. And so it seems to me, you just have a very big awareness of the magnitude of these questions that you're exploring and like, you know, I hope so for, <laughs> for taking it, taking it seriously. Um, yeah. Because that's one of the, the issues of like the postmodern thing is that, you know, like either 
people kind of become very blasé about life and and major life decisions and they kind of just do whatever like is in front of them right now and that can be a good approach for some people because other people they also just get like completely tied down and you know indecisiveness like they have no idea what to do right and so they just mm -hmm. end up doing nothing and staying where they are so so it, it seems like you're you're you know it, again it's this thing of like balance between different approaches right and trying to yeah like and and like one thing I, I comment on that is like a lot of people maybe not a lot maybe i should overgeneralize but kids my age will often resent where they came from or their upbringing or they'll or they'll love it to a degree where they have no self-awareness about it at all and so like I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I'm in this little town in Idaho, two hours away from the nearest next any civilization. And there are 3,000 people that live in this town. There are 8,000 in the in the county, in the surrounding area. So it's really, really small. And so with that, you have people who just want to leave and never come back. Mm -hmm. And then you have other people who just uh, have no self-awareness about where we come from and where we live and just are in love with it and there's a vice to both of those things and like i don't know like i don't like with you know these are my people thing it's like if i tear myself away from this and just resent it then i'm doing something that i don't really have the context to even understand what the implications of that are you know like i don't know i can't i can't guarantee that if i was you know brought up Catholic that I wouldn't feel the same way, you know, some of these resentments maybe towards my upbringing that maybe I do in my context now, but it's like, there's, I don't know, maybe I just, maybe it's divine providence that makes me believe this or something that it's like, I was, God wants me where I'm at kind of a thing. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's a, it's a good approach um, to <laughs> to take these things very slowly and carefully and not to push too hard, but also, you know, to, to really think seriously about, about stuff. Um, so, mm -hmm. so that seems promising. Um, I, I, I would say, yeah, it's going to be exciting mm -hmm. to see what, what's going to happen with you, <laughs> yeah, uh, Colson, yeah. and, and, and what you, what you figure out. Um, yeah. I think maybe this is a good place. I don't know if there's anything else you want to, you want to bring into the conversation or, or cover as well. Otherwise, maybe we'll say this was, uh, this was good for a first chat and we can see uh, if there's something that wants to carry on afterwards. Okay. Yeah. I think this is good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good place to stop. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, thanks a lot for the talk. Sorry about the, <laughs> the Oh, no worries. Like... Yeah. Um, but really great. Um, tell Tell us a little bit about what you're trying to do online with your with your YouTube channel and your Substack, uh, and we'll put the links down in the description so people can find you as well. Okay, uh, but give us a quick update or a quick elevator talk on on that and wh okay. why you're doing it, what you're hoping to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the YouTube is okay. So like with the whole thing of um, me exploring these ideas and then like living in the context and around the people that I do, one of the things that the YouTube has turned into is a way for me to bloviate about whatever I'm thinking about in a moment and not have to do that on other people. Because sometimes like I have all these ideas in my head and then I want to express them and to express them on someone else and not pay attention to that person doesn't always work well. And so that's kind of what the YouTube has become for me is a place, I guess, to think out loud. I do a lot of just monologues, I suppose. I have some conversations with different people. Uh, one of my recent conversations, I actually got 
my first conversation with someone who wrote a book on Tolkien. So that was pretty exciting. And so maybe I'll grow the channel in that way. Um, not very many people watch it, maybe like, you know, 20 views or so on average, but that's kind of what the YouTube channel is. It's just me thinking out loud about certain things and it really helps me to frame it. So like, even when I was writing my thesis, I was able to, you know, take different sections and read through the thesis and then think out loud. And it really helped me to refine my thinking. And then, yeah, so some people find that interesting. Um, some people don't, and I completely understand why you don't. So that's kind of what the YouTube channel is. And then the Substack is I, I do post links to all the YouTube videos and then I upload all the YouTube to podcast audio, but the Substack is kind of the same thing, but it's in writing. And so it's a little bit different medium, but most of my posts on Substack aren't super highbrow. They're not super refined. They're pretty much just rough drafts of something that I was thinking about, usually not super long. And so, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing online. It's just using it as an outlet to express what I'm thinking, to try to get more refined on what I'm thinking. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I'm doing. I do have some different things that I'm working on writing for other sites and stuff, but if you subscribe to the Substack, then I'll be sure to like put links to that when those do come out on other sites mm -hmm. online. So, yeah. Cool. Well, that's, I, I like it that you're using the internet uh, for your own needs rather than <laughs> kind of like serving it to gain advantage for yourself or something like that. Cause that's, yeah. that's one of the things I think I just, so this is one of the central things I had with my conversation with John Verveke was, mm -hmm. was that like, you know, there's this kind of like constant pressure from the culture and especially through these online media that is filtering into our relationships into our communities and kind of mm -hmm. pressuring us and and a lot of what it's bringing is actually just confusion mm -hmm. uh, but we we conform to it in order to gain more attention somehow and yeah. it's a difficult thing that i i think oh, yeah. john said like he's fighting with that every single day and i can really recognize that as well yeah um, and and so I, I think that that sounds like a really healthy and good approach actually <laughs> something that i can maybe be inspired by <laughs> um, yeah so one rule that i got from vander clay was that and i didn't have this when i first started my stuff online but this is my rule now and i borrowed it from vander clay is that i'm not going to be doing things online if i'm not willing to do it with nobody paying attention to it like I want it to be intrinsically meaningful to me. And so, you know, I'm not really making very much money from anything that I'm doing online or anything. Maybe that will come some point in the future. That'd be nice. But I don't like at this point, I have the time more or less to do it. And it's really beneficial for me to do. And if no one pays attention to it, then I still find it really intrinsically meaningful. And so that's kind of, that's kind of how I operate. So if you're like, why doesn't he, you know, try to, make it more appealing for his audience or stuff. It's like, well, I barely have enough time to like, just put out the content, not let alone like make it professional. So that's, yeah, that's kind of what I'm about online at this point in time. Okay. Well, thanks Colton. I, I, yeah. I think that's great. Um, I might not be the one to watch all of your YouTube videos, yeah, either, no, but it might yeah. be good to just check in once in a while. I'll definitely be following you uh, and seeing the headlines and, and check in once in a while. So thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you so much, Paul.